0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you give me grace today as I give your word to your people. I pray for submissive hearts. Father, and I pray ultimately, Lord, that considering the mandates that we are given won't create despair in us as we fall so far short of so many of these things, but rather that we would celebrate that there is one who came, who did fulfill all of this perfectly, and that by faith and repentance, we have had these things imputed to us so that when we stand before you, it won't be on our own merit. It won't be on account of our own righteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that on account of your grace, our marriages, do our children become, they are not just determined by our actions, though they are to a large degree. It is by your grace that our children do not become what their parents were. That We pray they become something better. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This afternoon, we're going to continue to expand upon what the proverbial woman is to be, and we will contrast this again with what she is not to be. Momentarily, we're going to resume this course of study, but before we do, there are some broad considerations that I'd like to raise to you. And they relate to the fundamental purpose of women in this temporal life. If you recall, when we went through the proverbial man, we spent significant time establishing the God-created purpose of men in this corporeal space to build, to protect, to subdue creation per the mandate and rule over it. And the reason why this foundation was critical to our understanding is that with it, every command that we're given makes sense, in that they all facilitate this greater end, while without it, none of them do. Apart from the creation mandate, all the commands of God given to us seem atomistic instead of pieces of a cohesive whole, as they actually are, that come together to make a man a man. And for the same reasons, the foundations of womanhood need to be established, and they also hearken back to Genesis. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I simply stated, then, the purpose of women is to help men, And it is to help we men as we, Genesis 126, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we are, of course, in our day told that what I just said demeans women. But does it actually? Because the command in full in Genesis 128 is as follows. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule. And then it continues from there into what I've already stated. And how much of that mandate can Adam fulfill without Eve? And whatever Adam could do without Eve is ultimately going to end with him in light of the fact that soon will, sin will soon enter the world and with it death, and so he will have no posterity without her. And it's not as though her unique capacity to produce life is a small thing, but she will also help him in many more ways beyond this. She may, for example, and this is just me spitballing, she may produce clothing for her family. She may procure food for her family. She may be so industrious as to manufacture textiles and then sell them for profit to the benefit of her family. She may be so entrepreneurial and wise that she buys and sells real estate of her own accord, of course, with the guidance and the general direction of her husband, but And She may do much more than this. And the outcome for her husband may be that he is enabled to sit as a ruler in the city gates. And of course, that was not me spitballing. That was uh, derived from the testimony of the great matriarch herself in Proverbs 31. So to say that a woman is a man's helper in the context of marriage in light of the creation mandate is not to make this akin to any other category of helper. She is not, for example, God forbid to be likened to a child an apprentice, a subordinate co-worker, a maid, or a live-in lunch lady over whom he also holds conjugal rights. Okay? This sort of legitimately demeaning view of women is actually what precipitated the sexual revolution of the 1960s. I heard one female author comment on this, and I wholeheartedly agree. When we think of the 1950s woman, we think of the quintessentially submissive woman according to the Word of God. In reality, that wasn't what the Word teaches. That was a caricature of the Word. Okay. When you think of that, what do you think of? You think of this woman, she sits at home largely throughout the day because her children are in government schools on account of the tremendous opulence that resulted from the post-World War II era. She doesn't need to manufacture anything. She doesn't have a garden. She doesn't grow anything. She doesn't produce anything. Anything She doesn't can. She doesn't put things away. Again, she um, lets the government raise her children and sends them off. She is sitting there. She is being unproductive. Women were not actually created to do that. They were created to be world shakers alongside of their husbands. And to employ their gifts in a productive way. And so when the 1960s came along and they received the promise of fulfillment, it found fertile soil because they were not being fulfilled legitimately. Women are not houseplants. They never should have been treated like that. They are co, though not co, equal in authority, vice regents created by God with intellects equal to men, spiritual capacity equal to men, but gifts and abilities different from ours. So that in her and through her, the fullness of God's image may be manifest because it's not fully manifest in us. We are one half of the human whole, which is not to say that we are not in and of ourselves human, but the full human experience is not seen through us. There's a a work of antiquity, a great philosophical work that speaks to the complementary nature of men and women. It's called Rocky One, and uh, I recently may have binged through all of that. But in the first Rocky, if you recall, Paulie's having a conversation with Rocky and it concerns Adrian. And uh, Adrian, she's a plain Jane and she's turning into an old maid. I think she's 30 at this point. Nobody's interested. She has no suitors except for Rocky. And so Paulie says, Hey, Rock, you know what it is? What is it that you see in my sister? And Rocky says, what? Do you know the line? He fills gaps. Yeah. Hey, Polly, it's like I got gaps and she's got gaps. But when we're together, we don't have any gaps. It's exactly right. Apart from Eve, Adam's gaps were so significant that he could not fulfill the mandate that God had given to humanity. Likewise, Eve's gaps precluded her from fulfilling God's mandate. But he comes together with her and he contributes his intelligence, his strength, his leadership, his capacity to defend life, and she contributes her intelligence, her emotional acuity, and her capacity to produce and nurture life. I have been created to, in this temporal space, love, honor, and defend that woman. That is my purpose, and I am very aware of it. I am here to provide for her to the glory of God, She has been created to provide me with children and to love and to honor me as we together raise our children in the fear and admonition of Christ that we may then send these arrows out into the world to the end, that Christ's kingdom be advanced that much more. And this is true of all of us in keeping with our God-created sexes. And to the ladies in particular, let me say to you that you can dye your hair purple, you can take mascara and draw on your own forehead the words, down with the patriarchy, you can take to the streets in rebellion with a whole group of other women who are equally as unhappy as you are if you're doing this sort of thing, but none of this manifest rebellion will do a thing to change the fact that you were created to help a husband and not to lead him, and that in this you will find fulfillment. And if you rebel... You'll only bring death anyhow, spiritually and literally. On account of feminism, the birth rate in this country has plummeted. We are not replacing our numbers. A civilization that cannot replace its numbers is going to become too top heavy to stand, and it will tip over. And it's coming. It's already happened in Japan, it'll happen here eventually. And beyond this, also, the CDC's report recently on depression, suicide, and substance abuse amongst teen girls is telling. 57% they say of teen girls report feeling intense sadness or hopelessness. It's a 60% increase in the last 10 years. 30% of teen girls seriously considered or attempted suicide in the last year. That's an 11% increase from 2011. Now, surely there are multiple causes for this, and we will discuss more of them before we're through in this series, but certainly the chief cause pertains to identity. She does not know who she is supposed to be. Our young ladies are no longer pursuing an ideal of wife and mother and ultimately helpmate to a husband in keeping with God's design. Instead, they are pursuing an ideal of playmate to a host of young men that regard them only as soulless bodies and sexual fodder. Unless, of course, they're actually told that they can become young men by contributing a few pounds of very important flesh. Flesh. And in this, they can find true wholeness. And if they do get married, they treat Eve's curse as though it were a life goal. From Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband in the context of a curse, not a positive thing. She will want to rule over him. Indeed, that is how they come in to marriage. So then, ladies, let Solomon teach you this afternoon how to honor your design instead of attempting to overthrow it to your own destruction and to that of your families and your churches and, in fact, your entire civilizations. And with that foundation laid, we will shortly turn to the text, but i want to give you a couple more technical notes here before we do. The focus of this address is going to be on married women with children, but this will also be a, a great benefit to men. Men, you are to be the leader in all things. This is what the Scripture teaches about who your wife is to be. This is how you are to guide her. And to lead her. If you are unmarried as a man, this is the kind of woman you want to find or the kind of woman that you don't want to find when we're speaking negatively. Single women, this will also have benefit for you because most of you are going to be married at some point. But then also these truths extend beyond the wife and mother relationship. They have uh, application in all interpersonal relationships that you'll engage in. And I hope that that'll be clearly seen as we go. I also want to mention that all that we have said thus far also has application to women. And so for that reason, I'm not going to recover the exact same ground that I already have at a previous point and then apply it to women. I'll let you handle a lot of that application. For example, one of the things that we deal with in our day to tremendous extent is just laziness in both sexes. And this gets worse. With each generation, we thought my generation was bad, the millennials, and then came the Gen Zs, and it's just going downhill more and more. So much could be said about that, but I'm not going to because we have already spoken to that. We'll reference that, but um, understand that those things apply here as well. But all of this said, the text with which we will start is Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down. With our own hands. Now, we're going to consider many other passages in this sermon, but the reason that we are starting here is because I think this really provides the framework for everything else that we will consider. If these points of wisdom that we are going to receive are indeed received and applied, then ladies, you will build your houses. But if you neglect these or you forsake them, you will indeed tear your houses down. So, all of our points are going to amount to here's how you tear down your house. Here's how you don't tear down your house and instead cultivate life in your marriage and family. So let me give you a statement to begin that all our future points are gonna feed into. Bitter women tear down, so don't be bitter. Now, on the surface, that statement seems almost stupid in its simplicity and therefore entirely unhelpful. It's a little bit like maybe you've told somebody at a church that you've been at that you were struggling with anxiety and they quoted only the first four words of Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, and you just sort of look at them and go, you you do realize that I am already anxious, right? (laughs) Like when you see a child that's fallen off a bike and is laying on the concrete, do you then say to them, hey kid, don't fall off the bike? Already did. I'm, I'm off the bike. So more counsel beyond that would be helpful. Indeed, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the counsel that's needed. And so I assure you, in keeping with that pattern, that this call to forsake bitterness is going to be followed by the wisdom needed to do so. But first here is the effect of a woman's bitterness as felt by those in her orbit, or say the atmosphere that this woman creates, the bitter woman. Proverbs twenty-one nine: it's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. 2119, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. 2524, it's better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. 2715, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. You know, we have that saying, misery loves company. Well, apparently, that saying and that sentiment just meant its match in this particular woman because she is so miserable that nobody wants to keep company with her. Where are you going, Dad? I'm going in the desert to die. Why? Because of Mom. Enough said, Dad. We understand. Now, it should be noted that this woman is also her own worst enemy. We are made in the image of God, but in our natural state in our unregenerate state and Often, unfortunately, to far too great an extent, we live in rebellion against the God who made us. And this is itself a profound contradiction, but it also creates all kinds of other contradictions. Well, for example, does this constant drip of a woman, his words, not mine, want to be largely alone in her later years? Does she want her children to leave home at the earliest possible point? Or if not, to at least avoid her? to the greatest extent that they can, when they are home, behind a closed door, behind a locked door. Does she want divorce? Does she want adult children who give her less access to her grandchildren at a later point because she is so intolerable that their spouses refuse to be around her? Or at least they limit their visits to her. Of course, the answer to all of these things is no. Does she really want the kind of emasculated husband that would cede this ground to her that would let her push him out of his own home to occupy the corner of a roof? That would treat this as a prescription. They would let her turn his house into a war zone in which neither he nor his children can have any rest. Is it in her best interest to weaken in this way the man that God has given for her protection and the protection of her children? I was discussing this with a couple of you on Wednesday night, the folly of this. Imagine for those of us who have gardens, imagine that you had a fence that kept all the critters out and then you tore it down. Why would anybody do that? The fence is there to keep them out so that they don't destroy the contents and the things that you're growing. He is that fence for you. And if he's on the corner of a roof, guess what is unguarded? Your front door. You need him there. What folly it is then to tear him down? And does this woman further, and this is the most important issue, want to stand before Christ having been guilty of all of this? No, she doesn't. She's just too foolish to know that the one she destroys most is herself. Now, in response to this, let me give you a brief mention of the role of husbands as spiritual leaders. Men, in order to love our wives and live with them in an understanding way, according to 1 Peter 3, you must intervene to stop this. Okay? You cannot allow this situation to persist. It may be started by her, but it is incumbent upon you to lead her through this and your family. So pay attention. Before... We are through in this study. We will revisit this fact as well. I also understand that as every son of Adam is naturally going to succumb at points to abdicating spiritual and emotional leadership in keeping with our first father's sin, so every daughter of Eve will naturally try to usurp her husband's God-given authority to one degree or another. So when we spoke about the proverbial harlot, I hope you didn't marry that woman. And if you're in that situation, I hope, by the grace of God, she can be let out of that. But what I'm saying to you here is that to degree, uh, to a differing degree, all of us did marry this. Okay? This is natural. This is fundamental. The same way that it's fundamental to we men to have households that may be falling apart and relationships that are coming unglued and to spend eight hours on a Saturday messing around with some stupid lawnmower part that we could have paid to do $20 to fix down the street who actually knows what he's doing. We take that laser-like focus that the Lord has given us and we misapply it because in the hands of sinners these strengths become weaknesses. Same thing with women and this is often one of the ways that this manifests. But back to you ladies and the issue at hand and with this I ask you concerning disabusing you of the bitterness that turns to incessant badgering and making corner of a roof, an attractive alternative to you. Let us address the causes of bitterness common to women, and then through this, we'll also start to address and identify some of the remedies. First of all, and this is where we'll spend the majority of our time, there is a lack of contentment. Now, a lot can, should, and has been said about the first sin of our parents. But with this, we should perhaps also acknowledge, ladies, that Eve somehow managed to overlook paradise and absolute perfection, and focus in instead on the one thing that she was forbidden to possess. And as your first mother was discontented with perfection, all of her daughters commonly struggle with contentedness too, with the good things that God has given them. We all have the tendency to act as the leech of Proverbs 30, verse 15, that has two daughters, both going by the name of give and give. But for this woman... And for women in general, this tends to involve relationships more than it does with men. And so I'll explore this with you a bit now. Sinful people are ungrateful people, and this makes us discontented. But our discontentment as men and women, as with everything else, tends to follow the line established by our sex. And this isn't absolutely true. It isn't an absolute maxim, but it is generally true. So when men lack contentment, it can be relational, but it tends to be more material. And for women, their lack of contentment tends to be more narrowly focused upon what they feel they lack relationally. And very often, even when a woman does covet material gain, she does so because she believes that if she receives these things, it will help her advance within a given social paradigm. It still has its ultimate aim on the social aspects. So one of the causes of bitterness in women commonly is the belief, sometimes real and often imagined, that her relationships are not good enough, that she is not sufficiently cared for or honored. And so she just rages and runs through the house like a bull stomping her rebellious feet as she goes and making her husband want to take up residence on the corner of the roof, for example, rather than becoming subject once more to her godless attitude. So how does this self-destructive and everyone else destructive woman shake free from her lack of contentment? Well, first, she needs to understand that discontentedness as a Christian is always rooted in lies. And so the way out of it is always the truth. So let us go through some of these truths, ladies, and let's see if we can't come out on the other side into gratitude. And by the way, the foundational premise of all of these points is that you're converted. But if that's the case, then you should remember the following points the next time you're tempted to become this kind of woman that pushes everybody out. First off, has God saved your soul? Again, we're presupposing that you are a Christian, so indeed God has saved your soul. So you know what any day you don't spend in hell is? Good day. A day better than you deserve. Now, this doesn't mean that we pretend away all sorrow. And this dovetails nicely into what Chris gave you earlier. There's always room for lament. Our Lord expressed great sorrow prior even to his crucifixion. We are sanctified people living in a sinful space. There is no way that we cannot lament while we are here. But lamentation and discontentment are not the same thing. We must always, in this, remember the blessings of God that are ever-present and indeed far transcend the cause of our lamentation. Next, let me ask you, is your husband a believer also? did not say here a Messiah, I said a believer. Not a perfect man, but is he a Christian? If you are a believer, and if you have a believing husband, do you understand that you represent a relatively infinitesimal sliver of the human race that is most privileged of all? Do you understand how few people as a percentage matter there are that actually qualify as this and what a blessing it is to have that sanctifying grace filling your home on account of the fact that both of you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God? Let me ask you beyond this. Do you have any believing children? Much less all. Do you have any? Did the Lord owe you the salvation of even one? No, he didn't. No, he didn't didn't know you your salvation didn't know you the salvation of your children yet he has been good enough to give you that do you see any positive spiritual and emotional growth in your children and i phrase that in a very particular way because as parents in general we often hone into especially what is negative about our children women do this Even more so, typically. Do you see positive growth in any respect? Do you have a conversation with them that demonstrated that to any degree? Then praise the Lord for it. Have you, ladies, been blessed with spiritual gifts? Do you have skills that the Lord has graciously imparted to you, to your own benefit, to the benefit of your family, and to the benefit of your church community? Indeed, if you're a Christian, you do. And those things have come by the blood of Jesus. Do you have a warm, dry, safe, and comfortable home? If you live in this country, you do. And historically speaking, again, you're in a very privileged class. And even in contemporary uh, circumstances, do you have enough food to eat? Again, what profound privilege, what grace the Lord has given to you. And listen especially to this Christian woman, and let's see if this helps with what may still be lacking in your perspective. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined you to adoption as a daughter through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on you and the beloved. In him you have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of your trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on you in all wisdom and insight. He made known to you the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration. Suitable for the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him you also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that those who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of your inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. All that for you. So perhaps we should stop looking past a spiritual Eden to complain about this and that with a net result of making the good gift of your husbands and your children want to be anywhere but around you. Let me also say here that another good antidote to discontentment is that observational sociological learning that I commended to you, I think, in the first sermon. Solomon learns and teaches by examples that he's observed. Yeah, I watched this fellow go this way. I watched this person do that. Why don't you watch the lady who did not marry, who did not serve the Lord, who does not have any kind of a godly Posterity. Why don't you watch the outcome of her life? And not in a like, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this sinner who's next to me kind of a way. But in a, but by the grace of God, there go I. It's a great help to us to consider the plight of the ungodly. In fact, we just read that in the Psalms this morning, didn't we? Watch them consider the outcome of their folly And then thank the Lord that by His grace and His grace alone you've not received the same. Now, having shown you the bad, let me show you the good. Show you, ladies, what it looks like to serve the Lord by serving your family from a grateful heart and with great joy. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10, an excellent wife. Who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in, do you know it, the light. She is happy in the work that she is doing for reasons which we will explain soon. Skipping ahead to verse 18 though, she senses that her gain is good. Because this lady is not myopically focused on what she thinks she's owed or what she thinks she lacks or what she feels to be lacking in others around her, she is able to rightly assess that what the Lord has allowed her to build and to make is good. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. There is that joy again. But what of her speech also? Verse 26, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And as a result of this, Her husband is not perched precariously on the edge of the roof with the pigeons. He is rather, verse 23, known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And she, instead of being regarded as a plague that is to be escaped by those closest to her, verse 28, has her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Now the quality of this woman can only be accounted for by a deep understanding of who she most deeply is. And that is not a wife. It is not a mother. It is not a daughter. It is not even a helpmate to a man. That is her purpose in this temporal space. But she is first and foremost one of those Lord-fearers that we identified as an identity group when we first started this series as in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, she is first and foremost in Christ. And so no doubt she appreciates the praise of her children and her husband. But no doubt she does not have a life built upon these things. And this, by the way, is the key to consistent Christian living. It is built upon a recognition of identity in Christ and not an attempt to perform well enough to gain merit from either God or men, In other words, consistent Christian living is fueled by grace. And this dynamic is quite vividly seen in the contrast between the Arminian and the Calvinist. I was told so often growing up, because I had so much interaction with Arminians, that the way that I believed, the permanence of my salvation, justification forever, would lead to inconsistency. And yet, it did exactly the opposite, while the inconsistency was seen in them. They were the ones on the spiritual roller coaster, not me. How could a person be consistent when their next misstep means they are no longer loved by God? How does that produce anything but profound anxiety? There's a similar effect here, ladies. If you want to be consistent in Christian living, you have to anchor yourselves in Christ. Do you think her children and her husband were perfect? Of course, they were not. Do you think that they acknowledged her every time they should have? Of course, they did not. So don't read perfection into their testimony. But she was able to perform her work diligently because while it was to the benefit of her husband and her children, it was first and foremost to the glory of God. And it has to be for you. Are you going to hang on every word from that guy next to you And again, that's a problem because he's not a savior. He's not a messiah. So he's going to miss some stuff. And your kids are going to miss some stuff too. But the Lord sees you. He sees the work that you do. Now, the next common cause of bitterness that we're going to consider is the facilitation of laziness in her children. And this is where I will remind you briefly of various passages we raised on hard work from Proverbs and avoiding laziness. Uh, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, first, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Ten twenty six, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a lazy one to those who send him. Twelve eleven. he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things will lack sense. 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The soul of the diligent is made fat. 14.23, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. This is apparently important to Solomon. Proverbs 18.9, he also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. 22.13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, it will be killed in the streets. As we said, he makes up a pretext for why he can't go to work because of some fake danger that he has invented. And finally, twenty-two, twenty-nine. do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men as a positive commendation of hard and diligent work. These things are to be instilled in both little boys and little girls. And yet, by observation, it is very often mothers that thwart this development most. And this is not to say that fathers do not play a heavy role. Indeed, we play the heaviest role because we are the leaders of the home. But more directly, women tend to cripple children by doing everything for them instead of equipping them to do for themselves and their families, both present and future. And to demonstrate this, let me give you a scenario, and let's see if this seems familiar to any of you. If you're a husband, don't you dare raise your hand in acknowledgment of anything like this. At most, a very, very subtle head nod here. Even that's probably not advised. But here's the scene. Say you have a mother, and she has able-bodied, sufficiently mature children, yet she waits upon these children hand and foot whilst they sit on their rear ends. And in response to this, she says nothing, at least for a little while, and she persists in her work and she persists, but as she works, the thought of her lazy little children taking advantage of her gnaws at her more and more. And then all of a sudden, She expresses her displeasure at this, but in a manner less like love is patient, love is kind, and more akin to what happens to a fire hydrant when it's hit by a car. Again, without a showing of hands, are you familiar with this scene? I think you are. But who really is at fault here? Is it the children? Sure, it's the children. But as Solomon says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So they will be this as their sinful parents were before them. So then ultimately, dad and mom are responsible, but chiefly dad as the spiritual leader. And so if dad comes into the room and he sees mom waiting on these ungrateful little children, hand and foot, and sees them sitting on their rear ends, it is incumbent upon him to make known to them that if they would like to retain their ability to sit on their rear ends in the future, they should get off of them immediately and help their mother. And there are indeed far too many men that fail to do this, for sure. But then there are also men who will lead as they ought in this respect, but whose leadership is frequently thwarted by their wives. The woman who complains about insufficient help is very often the same who will say, well, I didn't want to bother anybody, or it's okay when it's very much not okay, as demonstrated by the predictable eruption that inevitably results from tolerating persistently lazy children. Now, as matriarchs, ladies, you can have one of two things, rationally speaking. You can either, A, be angry that no one is helping you, or you can, B, prevent everyone from helping you, or at least not require them to, but you cannot have both of these things. And in reality, I speak in jest because you can't have either one of them, because it's your responsibility, as led by your husband, to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and this is hurting them, and we'll touch upon that more shortly. But sometimes this actually gets even worse because you can have the woman who will let her children ruin themselves by laziness, but then seek to take what should be the children's contributions to the household and instead dump them on her husband after he has, say, returned home from a 10 hour work shift so that her spoiled little teenagers can play more video games. And to their shame, there are a lot of emasculated men in this age who will go along with this sort of thing. I have actually known of women who brag about their abilities to make their husband do housework after a long and taxing work shift. And I am almost reluctant to say this because I've also known a whole lot of lazy men who will take things like this and say, I don't have to change diapers because of it. Nevertheless, this needs to be said. If you're a man and you come home into this sort of a situation, you need to say no no, I will not, child A, B, or C, get up and help your mother contribute to the welfare of the household. It is the responsibility of both parents to instill a strong work ethic in their children. And this only occurs by requiring work from them. And what often happens here is that A woman's desire to be approved by her husband and children and her fear of harming relationships will actually cause both of those results. Because she fears upsetting anyone with the effect of harming the relationship, she doesn't require anything of her children, but because she understands that they are in fact actually ungrateful and taking advantage of her, she can only continue along these lines for so long until she explodes and then causes the harm that she didn't want to cause in the first place to the relationships. You know, one of the effects of this greater God-given emotional capacity being expressed through sinful women is that the relationships become gods. And so their emotions blind them in the worship of these false gods. And in their blindness, they create the very conditions that will make their greatest fears come to fruition. Fathers will often, not always, but often track more toward excessive discipline. This is why we receive the command in Ephesians 6 to not exasperate our children or, as the NASB has it, to provoke them to anger. It is not uncommon for a father to just push and push and push without compassion and push a kid so far that they, in turn, sin against the father. It is not uncommon, then, for us to create the preconditions that cause sin in our children by being too heavy-handed. But the opposite is often true from mothers, And they fall into the ditch on the other side of the road. And that's why the following truth should be held on to by women and held on to heart. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. You cannot withhold the means of his or her Maturity, cannot withhold discipline. What needs to be grasped here, ladies, as much as anything, is that it doesn't matter how great a workload you can handle. Women are superhuman when it comes to this. It is amazing the volume of work that mothers can produce. It is something to behold, truly. We all get it. We honor you for this. This is why there are so many songs written to mothers. There ought to be more and poems. They are incredible. But something is really, really wrong with the souls of your children when they can sit there and allow their parents who work far more than them to continue to serve them without contributing anything to them or the household's welfare. That's the point. It's not about what you can do. Well, I can handle it. I know you can handle it. I know you can. Your kids can't. You're hurting them. You're hurting them bad. You don't mean to, but you are. You mean to help. You're not helping. And let's also acknowledge on a practical note that children helping especially dependent upon the age, is often actually not that helpful. Okay? And so we get that. I understand that. But that's part of the process, isn't it? So if, you know, you get the little toddler and he doesn't put away his toys the way that you want, you just take it away from him and you never revisit it, what does it do to him? It stunts him. So you got to go through that process. In our house, when dad... Gives a task. Usually it will be followed with. And when you think you're done. Come find me. Because very often. My version of done. And their version of done. Is not the same thing. I uh, have said that though. I have teenagers now. And we have. Trained them their whole lives. To help and to contribute. We've never tolerated this sort of laziness. This whole situation for example. That's going on with my house right now. Um, with half of it being destroyed by an insurance claim. I could never do this without the kids. I could never do this without the kids. They've been unbelievable. They did not pop out of the womb that way, though, regrettably. There have been many spankings, much teaching, much instruction, and even now, that instruction continues. Now, the next common cause of bitterness for women, though, that we will consider is being ruled by her Emotions. Now, the following verse has many applications, but the common condition of women is certainly one. Proverbs 24, 21 through 22. My son, fear the Lord and the king, do not associate with those who are given to change for their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. Now, many women do not sufficiently control their emotions. Thus they are given to change. And it is them and their families that reap the calamitous result. And this can take the form of outbursts of rage, It can take the form of withholding discipline that was previously promised because of a wild swing prompted by emotion. It can come in the form of giving a child something or allowing them to possess something that is quite evidently destructive for them, say, a device that gives them unfettered access to the Internet. It'd be more justified in handing them a loaded gun. I don't care what your culture says. And this unsteadiness may manifest in many other ways as well. Now, if in this point you're expecting here some reference to the weaker sex vis-a-vis 1 Peter 3, you will not be receiving it. I do not actually understand why the emotional condition of a woman has been brought into that text. I, I don't see it in the context. I don't think it's inevitable by any means. I do not regard the uh, emotional capacity of women as being a weakness. And I don't have any dog in this fight, okay? God says what he says, I'll just exegete it. I don't, you know, have any issue offending somebody or any lack of, you know, any desire to not offend somebody. I just don't see that in there. And I especially don't see it in light of the consideration of how women were created. Why are you emotional? Why do you have so many colors in your emotional palette so much more than we do? Because you are our helpmate. You, again, fill in the gaps for us. Your emotional capacity isn't a weakness. Now, does it become a weakness in sinful women? Yes. But that doesn't mean it's a a weakness as far as God is concerned. Again, men, we have this strength of being able to focus on a given task. But in our sinful state, those given tasks end up being stupid rather than productive. Does that mean that that kind of focus... Is a weakness? No, 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 no. Just means that it's handled poorly by sinful men. So, this isn't some kind of a diminution of your God created emotional powers, ladies. On the, on the contrary, without them, we would all be in a great deal of trouble. This is rather a call for you to direct these things according to the Word. Let your mind inform your emotions not the other way around. Drive so deep into your souls the word of God that it comes to mind and informs your emotions quite naturally. Okay? We need you to emote in the way that you do, but we also need you to not swing up and down in a way that causes destruction to the people in your household. And finally... And I can I can hear the objections from the men right now to the effect of we already did the proverbial man. Nevertheless, gentlemen, this last point goes to you, because it may just be that this woman who's in a fitful state is put there because she has a husband who did not do what he was supposed to do based upon the word of God. I am not comparing husbands and wives to the relationship between parents and children. But do you recall Ephesians 6, do not exasperate your children? He has there created the preconditions that while not making sin inevitable because it's still ultimately the responsibility of the individual and in that instance, the child, he has made it all but inevitable. He just keeps poking and poking and poking and poking and then the kid erupts. So as he... Altogether or completely responsible for that sin? No. Is he culpable in it? You're doggone right he is. And so is the husband who does not lead his family spiritually or emotionally. Is he entirely responsible for the sins that that creates in his wife? No. Is he culpable in it? Yes. If you're not leading, she is going to be in a fitful state. She's not made to bear all of that In the same way that you are not made to bear the things that God has given to her. So if you put her in that scenario, you make her sin much, much more likely. So here's a really good test to know whether or not you're leading your family spiritually well enough. Or placing too much of the burden on her. Have a conversation with your wife about the spiritual and emotional state of your children. If your perceptions erratically divergent from hers, you're probably in trouble because she is the one who is more likely to be attuned to these things because of, again, her relational and emotional capacity. If you have no clue what's going on, you have let far too much be borne by her. And so, before you talk about the lack of submission in your wives, make sure that you're leading them the way that you ought. And I will also say that the majority of men that I have had be most vocal in my experience prior to this congregation and in even my experience as a pastor, the majority of men who are most vocal uh, are not actually the victims that they represent themselves as. They are very often the cause of what is happening, and they would be very much better served to focus on being worthy of submission than to focus on the fact that they fail, that they feel that their wives are failing in this regard. And I've even had men come to me and ask me to help, and then you press in a little bit, and you go, you know what, my friend? 80% of what's happening here is rectified if you just step up and be the man that God is commanding you to be. So I'm not going to focus on your wife. I'm going to focus on you. Stop being lazy. Stop being selfish. And conclusion to all these things... I'll bring you back to where I started in the prayer. And that is the fact that a heavy burden has been laid upon you ladies. And you should aspire to these things. But none of you live up to this in the same way that no man lives up to all that he has given. And for as much as there are women in this culture who are very, very lazy, there are still a great number of women who just pile onto themselves all that they are failing in, all that they have failed in. Do not misrepresent the Christian faith in this way. Do not dishonor Christ in this way. In his perfection, you have been made perfect. And if you embrace that, then you are free to aspire to these things. You are free to pursue them. If you neglect that great truth, you will wallow in your shame. and not be able to live the life that God has given you to live. So focused on Christ, focus on Christ and him crucified and pursue your work with great joy as one who works unto the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace in applying these things. We thank you for our ladies, Lord, without whom we would in this life be lost. We thank you for the way that they uniquely manifest your nature. We thank you for the compliment that they are. We thank you for the example of Adam, who was made to feel his need for a mate before you supplied one to him. Our Lord, help our ladies. Help them to strengthen our children. Lord, we pray that you sanctify them. In Jesus' name, amen.